You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. This morning, the message is entitled Safeguarding the Prophetic, Safeguarding the Prophetic. And we've been on this subject of the prophetic and prophecy for a few weeks now. And uh, next week being Mother's Day, I plan to share something, well, maybe in line with the prophetic, but especially having to do with women. And, uh, but I have a, a, at least one other message, so maybe two, two other messages on this subject, on the prophetic. So this is Safeguarding the Prophetic, number 13, and Restoring the Soul. Safeguarding the prophetic, and let's, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Father, I'm asking that your word would be set on fire, that we would understand who you are and your ways, and that we would also be able to see the red flags of when the prophetic is going off into something other than what you intended it to be. Lord, it's meant to be beautiful. Help us to keep it and guard it to be beautiful in Jesus' name, and help me to share your word with your authority and grace this morning. Amen. Amen. Now, let's put our hands on our hearts and pray this nice and loud with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life. Amen. Amen. So let's get into this safeguarding the prophetic. Last week, we learned about Jesus' way of the whisper. And I sent the morning thought about this. So if you want to hear his voice, do two things. Get quiet and get close. And this is something that came out in the prophetic word that, and yeah, that's get quiet and get close. And now we have the banging of the gongs and the cymbals, right? <laughs> um, this came out of the prophetic word that Anne was sharing especially about getting close. But if you want to hear his voice, do two things. Get quiet and get close. Only those who stop talking and draw near hear a whisper. So in prayer, there's a time where we need to stop talking. I think that's the best way to begin is asking God, speak to me, and then be quiet and stop talking and listen, listen to his whisper. Now, about 99.9% .9 of the time, it is not going to be an audible voice. Occasionally, somebody hears an audible voice, but it's going to be, God's going to speak to your heart. He is spirit. He is going to speak to your spirit. He's going to speak to your heart, and it's going to be a whisper uh, to you, but it's going to come with great authority and weight. Only those who stop talking and draw near hear a whisper. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. This is what Jesus said. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. 
I had that scripture, and Lillian had that scripture last week. Hallelujah. And God has a way of repeating himself and um, just putting his seal on the word that he's speaking. So that was last week. Today, we'll equip ourselves with tools to guard prophetic ministry and stay on track with God's agenda. And like I was praying before, God has meant the prophetic ministry to be beautiful, but some through their own selfishness have made it ugly and they've gone off the way and we want to uh, watch out for that and just restore. We're talking all about restoring. Prophecy has a way of restoring us, but we want to restore the true authentic prophetic gift as God has intended it. Well, this brings us to the Sermon on the Mount. Here we have a tree with good fruit. (laughs) And Matthew 7, 15 through 16a says this. This is Jesus speaking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. And then I'll read a little bit more of what he says there. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So what Jesus is concerned about for the prophetic and for prophets and for all of us who are Christians, because we're going to see that we're all called to be prophetic very soon. But what God is concerned about, what Jesus is concerned about here is the inward. Notice that word inwardly. So certain people are presenting themselves as, as sheep, good words, Sometimes they're even accurate words, good words. They look good on the outside. Their appearance looks impressive. But what the father is concerned about is the inward. He's concerned about the heart. What is going on in the heart? And those who are true prophets or prophetic will let God work on their hearts even though it is painful. Here we see Jesus talking about two different types of trees. We'll know them by their fruit. And a good tree bears good fruit. Now the best tree of all is the cross. And it's the cross which is the good tree. The best tree of all. And it is from that tree that comes good fruit. And all those who are true and authentic have submitted to the cross. And they've been crucified with Christ. And they're daily carrying their cross and letting the cross of Jesus work in their lives, which means that it's crucifying them, but also they are walking in the power of the resurrection. And that's where all the good fruit in the kingdom comes from, is that best of all tree, the tree of the cross. And so that is a great marker for us to see what is true and what is false. We are all saved by the tree 
that Jesus died on. It's the blood, as Anna was singing about. The Christian life is prophetic. Jesus invites us into the fullness of his spirit. He calls us to hear, see, and experience our Father who is gentle, invisible, and beyond our natural senses. So the Christian life for everyone, not just those who are called to be prophets, there is a sense in which we are all called to be prophets and prophetic because we are born of the Spirit. And that is where the prophetic comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus invites us into the fullness of the Spirit. He calls us to hear, see, and experience our Father. This is what the prophetic is about. It's about hearing, seeing, experience, experiencing, and communicating. He calls us to hear, see, and experience our Father who is gentle, invisible, and beyond our natural senses. Now let's look at how the Lord did this in the early church. We remember Saul. Saul was a great teacher of the word Paul. Paul and Saul and Paul, that's his name. We have, we're talking about Saul in the New Testament. Go over to Acts chapter 9. Well, you would think that Paul, everybody thinks of him as somebody that's very logical and a lot of teaching, but remember his whole beginning of his walk started off with the prophetic. And he also, his life is prophetic. All of his epistles are prophetic, whether you uh, think so or not. And he calls us not to despise prophecy, but to eagerly desire it. But we know how his how his beginning started off with this experience of encountering Jesus just like the prophets of old encountered Yahweh. Here he is, he sees a light. And we'll, we'll read this here, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 3. First, he is totally anti-Jesus and breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. As he neared Damascus on his journey, and it was a journey to persecute, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So here is an experience with Jesus himself, this great light that knocks him to the ground. He hears a voice, and he's given specific instructions. The, uh, the record of the early church in the book of Acts is filled with prophetic experiences. Paul encounters Jesus in a vision, which knocks him to the ground and causes him to hear his voice. That's Jesus' voice. Now, notice here in verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. So they heard the sound, but they didn't see what was happening. Saul got up from the ground, 
But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now here, look at another prophetic experience. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. There, here's a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a name, sorry, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So notice that the Lord is calling to Ananias in a vision. He's giving him specific directions and instructions. This reminds me of what the Lord does often through Daniel, Hang, and Diane, giving them specific instructions on someone to minister to. And, and Daniel's going to be sharing in a couple weeks' time right after Mother's Day. Hallelujah. Pray for him. Pray for Diane that they would receive the recovery and rest after a big mission that they've been on. Getting back to the, the verse here, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So Ananias is knowing something, excuse me. Ananias is knowing something which is beyond human knowledge. He's knowing it because the Lord himself, the Lord himself is revealing it to him. He knows exactly where Saul is because the Holy Spirit is revealing it to him through Jesus. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a name from Tarsus. Uh, sorry, ask for a man. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And the Lord sees Saul praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore sight. So even, even Saul here is having a vision of this man coming to him. But re remember how when God speaks, he often speaks to us something that uh, unsettles us, uh, something that we would not be thinking about, something that would be other than our our first thoughts or our first opinion. And look at how Ananias responds to this. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And this is what Ananias does. Ananias goes to his house. He enters it. He only knows it through this prophetic knowledge. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit and he receives his sight again. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Notice how the whole thing is very prophetic. Do you see that? 
do you notice how it's all this revelation that comes from God himself? After Paul's encounter, Ananias has a vision and the Lord gives him specific directions showing him where Saul is, what he's doing, and how to get there. We just read that. The supernatural was a regular experience for these early disciples. This is what we see all throughout the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament. The supernatural was a regular experience for these disciples. One of the primary keys to the last day's harvest of souls is prophetic experiences and living. Did you get that? I'll let that sink in. (laughs) And it is not for what we call the super saint because there's nothing very super about Saul. He was just, he was going out to murder Christians. There wasn't anything too righteous in God's eyes about Saul. He thought he was righteous, but of course he was far off track. And yet he experienced this and God in his grace revealed himself to Ananias. But it wasn't based on his righteousness. It was based on God's love and God wanting to get a hold of people's lives. One of the primary keys, again, one of the primary keys to the last day's harvest of souls is prophetic experiences and living. So we need to believe that God still does this today. He wants to do it even more, and he wants to use you And he doesn't want you to be too shy about it. You do need to step out. Yes, you may have your argument with God. How can I do this? This guy is a bad guy. This man, he's murdering everybody. He's he's causing us all to die. And I'm going to go to him? And the Lord says, no, no, go. I'm doing a work in his life. He's praying. And so here Ananias asked to step out of his own thoughts into God's thoughts. If God wants to save people that we would, ne- we would never expect that he would save. The Father wants to save people we would never expect to save. People who hurt us. People who are a pain in our neck. <laughs> people that are far from God people that are very proud of their own righteousness and goodness, and God will get a hold of them and knock them down. But believe today that what God is doing in our day is he's going to be, he is multiplying. Let me say, what God is doing in our day is he's multiplying these experiences, these prophetic experiences, and we need to realize this and be open to it and realize that it's not just for someone who is called a prophet, but just for any believer in Christ who says, yes, Lord. Do you like croissants? I like croissants. Uh, Being from my mom's background is Mediterranean. You know, she grew up in Morocco, but it was French Morocco, and she loved 
uh, French culture and French food and part of her heritage was that. And I like to get croissants. There's a new place in the city called Loon. It's in the alleyway. And it's, it's in the exact same place. This place, Loon, makes croissants. They do a great job. It's in, the exact it's in the exact same place that there was a great revival in, it was like uh, mid-1800s in Brisbane City where people were coming off the streets and they were getting saved and repenting and turning to the Lord. And one man... Uh, William Taylor in his journal said this was the, he went around the world preaching, but he said this was the greatest revival I've ever seen. And it was in Brisbane. And uh, there's a, at, right at that place, right at the Loon place, there's a little tiny plaque that says, uh, once there was the first Methodist church that was here. And it, it, it was there that this great revival happened. Now, of course, it's torn down. There's only a little tiny plaque, and most people would miss it. Uh, but I had done a fair bit of research into revivals in Brisbane and Australia, and that's how I knew about it. Well, that church then grew, and then that moved, and that's now the building of the Uniting Church. It didn't look like that back then, the Uniting Church, but the big Uniting Church in there is that congregation. Of course, it's changed over time, but that's where the big Uniting Church in the city that's its origins. Well, croissants. <laughs> um, now, like I was saying before, before I got to this, that God wants to do these prophetic things, and he wants to reveal himself, and this is one of the primary keys to the last day's harvest. Yet, since the prophetic is subjective, how can we avoid becoming as flaky as a freshly baked croissant? <laughs> Again, the prophetic is subjective. How can we be avoid becoming as flaky as a freshly baked croissant? Now, I want my croissants flaky. <laughs> but I do not want my brothers and sisters to be flaky. So how can we guard this. Now, the one reaction is because people see flaky things in the prophetic, they say, oh, well, that's not for today. Or some will say, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. And so they despise prophecy. And this is exactly what the Lord tells us not to do. The Lord tells us not to despise prophecy. And uh, definitely not to despise prophetic experiences because we see it it's the, the scripture is full of it, and the New Testament is full of it. So then, how can we safeguard? This comes to this uh, new infographic that I've been working on, the shield, safeguarding the prophetic. And uh, in, there, in that shield, you can see, there's like a, there's like a cross there. And there's four specific things. So let's talk about this. Safeguarding the prophetic. How can you keep the prophetic from going off the rails? Authentic prophets and prophetic ministries submit to the Father's shaping by His Spirit and Scripture. And Jesus said, as we read before, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And there's four specific things, four S's to keep in mind 
when it comes to the prophetic. And that is submission, shaping, spirit, and scripture. So let me explain what we mean by this. The genuine prophetic, talking about first submission, submission. The genuine prophetic person is submitted to God. And what it means to be submitted to, to God is to really experience the cross on the inside where we die to our desires, our will, and what we want in order to, in order to embrace what, what our Lord wants, what our King wants. Submission. So the genuine prophetic person is submitted to God, his people, and spiritual authority. They're not rebellious and have proven that they can listen. Now, sometimes you see with uh, people that are prophetic is they are not submitted. They don't listen. And there's a big red flag, a big red flag that happens. There's a big red flag that happens when uh, we see somebody or, sorry, sorry, this Zoom is trying to say something to me, but anyway. <laughs> uh, there's a red flag that we all should be aware of when someone is trying to prophesy, but they have no submission in their life, or it's a partial submission. Ultimately, we need to be submitted to God, as James 4, 6 says. It's a submission to God, a submission and surrender of our lives to God. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So it's this humility, this quality of humility that needs to be at the very heart of the prophetic. And then it goes on to say, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves then to God. So there's this submission to God that is a safeguard and, and keeps us on the track. Now, could you imagine a conductor of a train and this conductor of a train wants to ride this train with all these people in it but won't listen to any of the, the rules of the railroad? So they're going to go at any speed they want. They don't listen to the signals. They don't stop. They, have, they haven't been trained. Well, everybody on the train is going to be in danger for their lives because this conductor has not submitted to the authority and the same thing goes for anything of God's kingdom. It must have its foundation in submission to authority and not just doing our own thing and going our own way. Ephesians chapter 5 through 21. If you don't like the word submission, uh, well, <laughs> you should, but it means, it means yield, right? If you... You can also say yield. Uh, but we're not talking here about, we're not talking here about a uh, spiritual authorities controlling people in a, in a negative way. 
The whole reason for spiritual authorities, and we were talking about submission to God, we're also talking about submission to spiritual authorities, but the whole reason why spiritual authorities uh, need to... Uh, need to lead and, and guide is not to oppress people, not to lord it over people, not to uh, control every aspect of them, but it's to bring order to a meeting, and it's also to build people up and to keep them safe. So that's what spiritual authority is for. It's not for crushing people and, uh, oh, you must submit to me type of attitude. That's not a good, good attitude. And that's not something that is a good fruit. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's a submission to God, which also overflows in submission to one another. So we should all be submitted to one another. Submit to one another or yield to one another in, out of reverence for Christ. So the submission to one another is important for every believer. Uh, I'm, as a pastor, submitted to you. You should be submitted to one another. Uh, and so there should be a mutual submission in, in the church because Christ dwells in everyone. And we do this out of reverence for Christ. And then there is spiritual authority, uh, Hebrews 13, 17. Now, I bring out all these scriptures because we need to see that trifold nature of submission. Uh, because uh, spiritual uh, bad leadership will abuse authority. And they will try to lord it over people. And so how do we, how do we guard against that? There is this threefold, trifold way of submission, which is submission to God, submission to one another, also submission to spiritual authorities. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And then the writer there says, pray for us. So that's the first thing is submission. And so all of us have a responsibility of submitting to God, submitting to one another, and submitting to authority. I, I didn't come out here to Australia doing my own thing. I submitted to the leaders at the, in Pensacola, bringing to them my thoughts and plans and asking for prayer. Then I went through the way of my pastor, uh, even before we got married, we went to counseling, we took this big test, and I remember we were talking about this the other day, we were both nervous because afterwards I thought, if, if we don't get this test right, my pastor's going to say we can't get married. He wouldn't, he, he wouldn't have done that, but I was a young, he wouldn't have done that, but I was a young Christian, I was very concerned, and so we took this test. And it was a compatibility test. And, and afterwards, we were arguing. What? You said this? You want this many children? I put this. Oh, no. <laughs> this test is going to come out bad. And my pastor is going to say, she's the wrong one for you. You need to choose somebody else. And I was like, oh, but uh, Pastor Dennis is never heavy-handed 
like that. It's just the way I was thinking back then. Anyway, the results come back, and Pastor Dennis said, I'd never seen two people more compatible than you in this test, you and Anna in this test ever before. So all of our worries were put aside. But I went to, when I wanted to plant the church in Australia, I went to my pastor. We submitted our relationship. We submitted, this is voluntary submission. This is not forced. I want to make that clear. But went to him for counsel, uh, went through a process of being licensed and then ordained and going through the fellowship of Christian assemblies and still keep my relationship with Pastor Dennis. Though we're, we're, due, for, uh, we're due for a good chat um, because I haven't been over there in a while because of COVID. So submission, submission should be a way of life for genuine believers. Now you're going to find people that will go and prophesy lots of things without submission. A good example of that is Balaam in the Bible. You know, he prophesied right things, uh, even good things, but his heart wasn't right and he wasn't submitted to God and he was... And when God was trying to get a hold of him, there was this donkey that he was riding and he was planning to curse God's people or do something that, and, and he's, he's riding this donkey uh, to go and he's being paid to curse the Israelites. He's riding this donkey and remember an angel appears and the donkey stops, but he doesn't see the angel and he starts beating the donkey. Three times he beats this donkey until finally the donkey talks and says, why are you beating me? <laughs> now all of this, again, is prophetic experience. And the donkey starts to speak to him. And then the Lord warns him not to say whatever he wants to say. He ends up in the end prophesying really good things. But that's not because his heart's right. That's because God overrid him. And it's because of God is more powerful than the false prophet. Uh, but accuracy in prophecy is not the test of a true prophet, a false prophet. We want to be accurate, right? But the real test is the heart and the submission of the heart. You see, Balaam is trying to force things, and sometimes that's with people who are uh, interested in prophetic things, uh, spiritual things. They try to force things, beat the, beat the animal. And uh, when God's trying to tell them, stop, you're, you're going recklessly here. So the first thing is, the first S is, say it with me, submission. submission. Next is shaping. Shaping. What do I mean by shaping? Allowing the Father to shape you into his image is the mark of authenticity. Now, these two things go together. Let God prune you inwardly, forming you to be like Jesus. So this should be the whole, the whole goal of prophecy and the prophetic is to reveal Jesus and that we would become more like Jesus in our nature and character. So if this is not happening inside of us, we don't have the authority to prophesy though even we might endeavor to do so. Now, that doesn't mean that anyone who prophesies has to be absolutely perfect, but they need to be on the way. They need to be allowing God to shape them. Uh, uh, Romans 8.29 says, We are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
the image of his son. I'm turning there, just kind of sharing it before I get to it. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So there should be this inward work, the shaping. I got my hair shaped. <laughs> Anna was saying, it's getting unruly. Eva was saying that too. It's getting unruly. It's getting out of place. And so my schedule's quite busy. I usually don't have so much time to, you know, sit down and wait. And, but I got my hair shaped. <laughs> and we need to be allowing God to shape us on the inside. Though I'm busy, I always make sure that that's the first priority every morning is to allow God to work in my heart and just give God time to work and prune me and and conform me to his image. That's top priority in my life. It needs, it needs to be top priority in all of our lives. So this bring, all these things go together. The next thing is spirit, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit here. Remember, the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit because he makes us holy. He is holy. First of all, he is holy, separate from sin and pure uh, he is holy, but he also makes us holy. And so when the Holy Spirit's in, he's making us, in us, he's making us holy. The Holy Spirit is our source. Boy, I said that like a New Yorker. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is our source and teacher. He guides us into all truth. So this is another safeguard for the prophetic. We have submission, shaping, and the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. We see this in John 16, 13. This is one that you should have memorized. But when he comes, the spirit of truth, sorry, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, I had it memorized in a different version before this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit is our guide, keeping us on track. He is our teacher and it's through the Holy Spirit that you prophesy. It's through his power, his spirit that you prophesy. But here is the thing that I want to bring out, and I'm bringing it out throughout the whole message, is don't allow merely the Lord to speak through you. Allow him to work in you, to shape you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you inwardly in truth. Don't be like one of these uh, people or parents who... You know, they're drinking all the time, and then they say to their kids, don't drink, it's not good for you. 
So they're speaking one thing but living another way. And this often happens in the Christian world. People speak one way, but they live another. And God wants our speaking and our living to be in alignment with one another. They are in agreement. There is a congruence between the two. The last thing here is Scripture. We have the dove there representing the Spirit, and then we have the Bible there representing the Scripture. Scripture, uh, bathing yourself in the Bible keeps you free from error. So we're open to God speaking to us in these supernatural ways, but we must be grounded in the Scripture and bathe ourselves in the Scripture and know the Scripture so well that we, we're able to tell the truth from the false. So the Scripture keeps us on track. And the major way that God wants to speak to us is we open up the Scripture and say, God, speak to me. And he speaks. Now, I could have the Bible here and pray and God can speak to me, but that's because I've been filling myself up with his word. And then I don't, I don't live my life with a closed Bible, so to speak. Now, also, we see there's some images there. We have the lion and the lamb. We had the king was coronated yesterday, King Charles III. Did you watch that? Did you watch it? That was quite an amazing coronation. I was very impressed with the, the, the reverence and the words and how it was done, and it was all kept on pointing to the king of kings, which was quite cool. They didn't have to do it like that, but it was really a good thing that they kept on pointing to the king of kings and to Jesus as the ultimate king, and also they, were, uh, they kept on saying that the king's job is not to be served, but to serve. And that's a great example of what true authority is. It's not about being served, but it is serving. Well, the lion reminds us of boldness and courage, and on the shield of the king, there's many different lions. So the, the king has a shield, and uh, King Charles III, and there's many lions on there. Well, the lions speak of authority and boldness, and so we also, in our prophetic ministry, need to be bold like a lion, but also... We're bold because we submit to the ultimate lion, which is Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate authority. But also we can't forget being a lamb, and that is laying down our life, being sacrificial. The two go together. The lion and the lamb go together. So the one who is a lion is also a lamb. That is Jesus. And the same way, this is that nature, that lamb-like nature of surrender, sacrifice, gentleness, kindness is important for every Christian. And so that's why we have the two contrasting, two contrasting images, but they go together. And we see that in the book of Revelation, the lion and the lamb. Coming together. So here we have the shield, submission, shaping, the Holy Spirit, and Scripture. And I have a few verses here. These are ones that I mentioned. I'll read them again. We're almost finished. Do not quench the Spirit. 
Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. And then 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then Deuteronomy 33, 12. This is one of my favorite verses. A lot, of my, a lot of the Bible is my favorite. <laughs> About Benjamin, he said, let the, beloved, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long. And the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Deuteronomy 33, 12. That also reminds me of what Anne was prophesying before. Now this is the beloved of the Lord rests secure in him for he shields him all day long. The greatest shield is to be in God's presence enfolded in his arms. And the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. This is speaking of how God clings to us, how he enfolds us. It reminds us of John who he wrote the book of Revelation, but before that he laid his head on Jesus' chest. He laid his head between his shoulders. And he was described as the disciple that the Lord loved. Ultimately, we need that intimacy. And all these things that we're talking about, submission, shaping, spirit and scripture, the ultimate purpose of all these things is that intimacy so that we're enfolded in his arms. I've been talking about this project I've been working on, sayings from the burning heart of Leonard Ravenhill, and I will, I'll publish this probably in a few weeks. The, it's already finished. It's all about the formatting, but this is something that Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, the prophet is God's detective seeking for lost spiritual treasures. This is from this uh, book that I'm compiling. One section is all on prophets. There's another section on prayer. Another uh, section on what else? There's a lot of fear of the Lord. There's a number of different subjects in there. He, in there, he talks a lot about the prophet being unpopular and that's part of the cross of the prophetic ministry. Here, here it says, the prophet is God's detective seeking for lost spiritual treasures. Leonard Ravenhill. So keep posted. Brisbanefire.com, if you're listening to this online. Brisbanefire.com, uh, www.brisbanefire.com. You can go to the online store, and there's going to be a number of different resources there to, to bless you. And what I'll do is I'll put this... Uh, I'll put this infographic that we just had on there and instead of a discount code, I'll just have it for free for a week so you can download it. Um, so for a week, it's going to be free of charge, downloaded. Some people had trouble using the discount card so that you can access that infographic. Who is this? I'm not too sure. <laughs> He's from a Norwegian rock band. <laughs> as we sum up here 
People are impressed by loud, large, and lengthy prophecies. People are impressed by the loud, the large, and the lengthy. Often they rave about how accurate the prophecy is. But God delights in prophetic words from a pure and upright heart. God delights in prophetic words from a pure and upright heart. If accuracy were how the father judged prophecy, Balaam would be considered a true prophet. Instead, Scripture considers him the consummate false prophet. And there's many scriptures here, 2 Peter 2.15. We're not going to turn to them. Jude 11, Revelation 2.14, Numbers chapter 22 to 24, Numbers 25, 1 through 3, and Numbers 31.16 that all have to deal with Balaam and why the Lord considered him false. Which brings us to our last words, which are a... Uh, a repetition of what we started with, with Jesus saying, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They will know them by their fruit. And let me say, that guy there in the picture, there's no judgment about him. I just said, I just thought it looked like somebody who was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know who the guy is, so I just need to little caveat there. I gotta get somebody text me and say, I know that guy. I, I've never seen him. He's just on the <laughs> on a stock photo. So Jesus, so we're not we're not condemning him. We're not condemning him. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ra- ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Amen. All right, we're going to pray and then come around. Come around the table of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And just let the, the Lord speak to us here. Father, we thank you that you speak to us in prophetic ways, that you reveal to us knowledge that we didn't have before that you give us wisdom, that you give us revelation in your word, and that you save people miraculously. And we're praying, Lord, we're joining in prayer right now that you would do that miraculous thing, that you would bring miraculous salvations in our day all across Australia, all across Brisbane, in Jesus' name. And that you would use us just like you used Ananias with Paul. And that there would be people who are going the wrong way, but you would get a hold of them like Paul. And help us to keep our guard and our shield up that when there are red flags with somebody, we would warn them. We would show them the right way. We would guard our own hearts. And most of all, Father, that we would stay intimate and close with you as we've been learning about over the last year, that we would just guard that intimacy with you as our greatest treasure. Holy Spirit, move on us in this time. Let us hear your voice. And I'm blessing everybody to move in the prophetic this week and that we would see breakthroughs and we would be just surprised by the power of God operating 
in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.